Hey guys, just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Sidebar Forever. If you like the show, please subscribe to us at sidebarforever.com as well as share episodes of the podcast on your social media. That way, new listeners can find us as well. The brilliant documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, is available right now on Netflix and Hulu, and you should watch it. Narrated by actor Samuel L. Jackson, the film is based on an unfinished manuscript by celebrated author James Baldwin. Baldwin's intent with the manuscript was to show the overlap in the lives of civil rights leaders Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., all of whom were friends of his. This podcast has never reviewed a proper documentary before, and with it being Black History Month here in the States, we jumped at the chance to change that. In the conversation, we discussed the use of archival footage from the civil rights movement, what makes for an effective documentary, feeling like an other in your own country, and the insights offered by I Am Not Your Negro into the life and life's work of the late James Baldwin. If any white man in the world says, give me liberty or give me death, the entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so there won't be any more like him. The story of the Negro in America is the story of America. It is not a pretty story. Most of the white Americans I've ever encountered surely have nothing whatever against Negroes. That's really not the question. Really a kind of apathy and ignorance. You don't know what's happening on the other side of the world because you don't want to know. In America, I was free only in battle, never free to rest. We need to take action, any kind of action, by any means necessary. They needed us to pick the cotton, and now they don't need us anymore. Now they don't need us, they're going to kill us all off. There are days when you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. The question you've got to ask yourself, the white population of this country has got to ask itself, is why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Because I'm not a nigger. I'm a man. But if you think I'm a nigger, it means you need it. And you gotta find out why. And the future of the country depends on that. So we've never discussed a proper documentary on the podcast before. And with I Am Not Your Negro available right now on uh, Netflix and Hulu, we thought, you know, February, Black History Month, would be a great opportunity for us to change that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for anyone who is not aware and hasn't, hasn't seen it, I Am Not Your Negro is a 2016 documentary. It was directed by a filmmaker named Raul Peck. Um, it's based on James Baldwin's unfinished manuscript, which at the time was called uh, Remember This House. Uh, the film is, I mean, just deftly and warmly narrated by Samuel L. Jackson. Mm. Um, and it explores the history of racism in the United States, 
really from the civil rights era all the way up to, to, to Black Lives Matter. Um, it's told via Baldwin's relationship with civil rights leaders Megar Evers and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr., who were friends of his. And oddly enough, and coincidentally enough, I guess I should say, all of whom were assassinated within about five years of each other. Mm -hmm. uh, the movie was nominated for uh, Best Documentary Feature at the 89th Academy Awards. I don't, I don't think it won. But it did win a uh, BAFTA Award for Best Documentary. And it's, it's 93 minutes long, and it has a near-perfect score of 99%. On, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, and you should definitely watch it if you haven't seen it. Mm. So we're going we're gonna to discuss, uh, discuss the movie here today and, and talk a little bit about some of the themes and some of the, uh, you know, the work of, uh, of Baldwin. But I, I want to start with Adrian. Adrian, you, you, you are a big history buff. What did you, uh, you think of the movie, man? You know, it was very, very evocative. And, you know, and I, I thought it covered a lot of ground in terms of especially from the vantage point of someone who is kind of unfamiliar with the period, like it's a good capsule. And mm -hmm. I don't mean that in the sense of, oh, well, it's entertaining or anything like that. I mean, it's a good educational capsule of, and, it's, and that's just the start. That's just the start. Let me get that out of the way too. This is just the start of, you know, even beginning to scratch the surface of a description of the civil rights movement. But they did a great job of encapsulating that, you know. And the other thing that I was struck by, too, is that I had seen a lot of this footage, you know, but I had never seen some of it from a different vantage point, And some of it was in color, which anytime you see any of these past events um, in color, not, not colorized per se, but in like genuine film color, you know, of the period, it really puts it in a whole other realm, but that's not to discount the um, black and white stills as well, you know, because man, mm -hmm. mm. some of those stills are so virulent. Like you're just like to, 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 to see, you know, these, these young black kids wanting to just go to school. That's it. And you look and just the background of like, you know, all of these white people just feral, Snap, you know, just gnashing their teeth, just seething with hate. You know, it's just it, it really puts it into base relief. You know, what was going on and how much of a struggle it was then. I mean, we are still grappling with issues now in this nation, but back then, many of us probably could not even imagine. You know, living under those conditions as as african-americans as black people you know i think it would be almost unimaginable to modern you know blacks if they were transported back then you know and um just baldwin's words just really just oh man it just just set it off you know what i'm saying like just so insightful yeah you know what i mean and mm -hmm. just mm, it, it was it was very well done adrian uh what what adrian is touching on is probably the point in the uh, in the film where um, Baldwin had been living uh, in Paris for about a decade yeah mm -hmm. and uh, he, he was um, you know and he would read in the newspapers what was going on with the civil rights movement and, and what was happening back in America and he said he saw a photo of if I'm not mistaken it was a photo of uh, Dorothy counts when she desegregated that high school in Charlotte yeah. And that was the uh, the match that lit the flame where he said, you know, I've, I've got to get back. Everyone else is doing their part. I've got to get back and do my part. 
and I've got to be a part of this as well. And I can't just sit over here in France, you know, and be a part of the, you know, expat, you know, mm-hmm. black intelligentsia, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 that whole thing. So, um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, seeing those photos, it's really, really jarring and really like, it, it, it's just inhumane. Yeah. You know, that you're treating teenagers this way. You're treating women this way. You're treating elderly people this way hell grown men and women you know that they're being you know treated i mean horribly but anyway what did what did you think uh d man um every bit of what you guys just said is 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 accurate and and profound um for me i found it very hard to to finish watching it man because i i don't i don't watch i watch things really for entertainment purposes and even even historically i could find something in things that aren't about me interesting and engaging and and entertaining this very very little of this was mm. was celebratory mm. for me um even though i even though i celebrate i celebrate the works of james baldwin i i i i i elucidate in the in the words of, Mar- of martin luther king um and quite frankly if it had been for martin luther king jr uh, being the peaceful civilizer that, that he was i don't think those kids would have stood a chance in terms of them get going through the school and getting being spat upon and 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 like in some cases like like they they even put their hands on them man yeah they put their hands on them oh okay i'm sorry um you put your hands on me it's over dude like there was there they, they there's a couple of times we've seen the whole thing where where in um, the civil rights movement where they they were um protesting on the outside of various buildings and things of that nature and they had a uh, um police officers like hosing them down with 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 uh with water hoses and one of the dudes, man, uh, one of the one of the police officers sold one dude with the uh, with a, with a club, and dude went toe to toe with him, was knocking him out. They they showed that one in every yeah. every civil rights documentary, <laughs> and I and I love it every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Because you, you know, like 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 um, one of the characters I watched um, was it um, from some movie I forgot what it was. It's the only thing that separates me from you is that you have a badge. Mm-hmm. You took the badge off, I kick your ass. I think it might have been um, Eddie Murphy's. Um, what forty eight hours? That's what it was. It was Eddie Murphy's. Yeah. Um, forty eight hours. Forty hours. Yeah, with, with Nick Nolte. You know, so it's like one of those things wherein, you know, I'm I'm hardly militant, but at the same time, like, at the same time, you realize after being oppressed for so long, um, you kind of have a you have to either say okay, so, so you go into survival mode, and I'm gonna either I'm gonna let you take advantage of me and beat me down and treat me like a less than less than a human being. I'm gonna stand up, rise up, and do something about it, you know. So I, I fully understand, you know, um, the anger and the frustration of the time period based on how people are being treated. And I, I, I swing back and forth between both Malcolm and um, Martin, Martin in that regards. So I was glad James came back home after being an expat to uh, add his his, um, his, his awesome um, articulation to the situation. And um, the movie's great, man. Yeah. It's great. I uh yeah I felt the same way man it was uh, it was really moving, and I was drawn in immediately largely by you know Sam's narration. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned this to you guys on another another podcast episode, but you know I the first fifteen minutes I just I didn't even realize it was him. Mm-hmm. You know his voice was very quiet and small, his tone was almost elegiac throughout the uh, the entire thing. His diction was pure, like the way that he was enunciating and yeah. quitting. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, I mean, just all of that. 
and then like Adrian said, you know, a lot of the footage I've seen, you know, many times before. Um, but I liked the fact that, you know, from uh, Baldwin's, uh, you know, his original uh, unfinished manuscript, you know, he, he was making references because his I think his goal with this was to he was friends with Edgar's Edver, with Medgar Evers and, and Malcolm and with Martin. But I think his goal was to show because they're all seeing like like Dee said, you know, one part Malcolm, one part Martin. And then, you know, Medgar over here, and they're all seen mm -hmm. as kind of like separate entities. Even now, like with the uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, the film out about Fred Hampton, they're all seen as separate. But, you know, he wanted to show how their lives overlapped and how they would bang into one another, uh, culturally speaking, and in terms of, you know, uh, you know what, they're what, what the different sides of the movement, how they would intersect. And so, you know, him being kind of mm -hmm. like a through line in terms of his relationship with all of them, I think that's what he was trying to explore. So being able to see some of that and then him talking about, like, watching John Wayne and watching, you know, Westerns as a child. Yeah, man. And, yeah. you know, the idea that, you know, not only do you see yourself absent from these, these you know, these great fictional, you know, works, these movies and, and, um, and serials and, and, and novels, but then you see you know, white actors portraying Native Americans and Asians. And black people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and mm -hmm. Al Jolson and people like that putting mm -hmm. on blackface. And so, you know, how, what kind of an effect that has on a percentage of, of the population to not see themselves represented ever at all, as if they don't matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, mm -hmm. I, I, mm -hmm. I really, really dug it. I dug the, the, the music and the score. I think it's a, a Russian composer who actually did the uh, the music for it, mm. and uh, and I was I was immediately drawn mm. in, and I you know I sat through it, you know it was one of those Saturdays, Saturday or Sunday, where I put it on and I was I was folding clothes and I stopped folding clothes. You know what I'm saying? Like I was just like I, I can't, I, I can't I can't let any of my attention get away. I've got to I've got to watch this in total, um, and that's why I, you know I mentioned it to you guys. Right. So. I, I had I had a thought. Mm -hmm. um, as I was watching it, the part where they mention about John Wayne and how a lot of those movies and media back then were kind of mm -hmm. emphasizing the other. Like, this is the history as we tell it of how this country was formed. And we're just going to excise, you know, the nasty bits that went into it. And, you know, speaking of John Wayne, there is mm -hmm. an example that I thought about even as I was watching it. Uh, John Wayne had this movie out back in 57 or 58, no, 59, uh, called The Horse Soldiers um, about the Civil War, right? He played like a union. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he was the leader of a union band that went, in, went on a raid into the South, you know what I'm saying? And the key thing about that is, is that they starred as a slave, Althea Gibson who was just fresh off of her win wow. at Wimbledon. She had won Wimbledon. First black female wins Wimbledon. And what did she get when she come back here? You know, a role playing a slave in a John Wayne movie. Damn. Right. <laughs> I was just like, that's jacked up, yo, but that, that was indicative of, of, of the period, unfortunately. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, well. Speaking of John Wayne, far be it from me to pass up an opportunity to disparage him. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, his 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 infamous uh, 1971 interview with uh, with Playboy. Mm-hmm. You know where he talked about, and I'm reading a quote here. I believe in white supremacy. He said, he said we can't all of a sudden get down on our knees and turn everything over to the leadership of the blacks. I don't believe in giving authority and position of leadership, positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. So, wow. In, in the immortal words of Public Enemy, motherfuck him and John Wayne. <laughs> okay. yep. Dang, that's, that's it. That's it. That's, that's so it. messed that's up. It. I, ne- I never, I've never heard that. I, I never knew yeah. that. Dang. Like I, I had heard it over the years. You know that. You know yeah. he had those type of tendencies. But man, that's fucked up. Now I got to turn around and cause I, I have several John Wayne movies. Like fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me, let me let me tell you, man. Let me let me tell you, man. When Public Enemy came out to you back in the day, they weren't just they weren't they weren't cherry picking. They were coming out to you for a reason. And and we're talking about some 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 very educated and, and smart moves that were made by Chuck D. And, and people around him to help him get to the point that he was. Now, arguably, of course, there's some things in there which were slanderous and problematic and all that stuff. You can't have the good without the bad. But there were some there were some points of 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 of, of eloquent, like well spoken, like like pure that were coming from the, coming from the mouths, dude. And and that was just an example of one of the many many little 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 chunkets that they had. But yeah, man. Um, in terms of the in terms of um, the, the, the history is defined by the victors. You know, you look at the things that they, 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 um, that would be told for years, man. Like like cowboys and Indians. Mm-hmm. How the Indians were always the bad guys, um, and and well, how you know when the Indians were savages, right? That's always the thing. Somebody who's not like us that we don't understand, they're savages, right? But but no, I I, I totally agree, and, and you know, and that's the thing. It's that that's the dichotomy there. You know, getting back to the film itself, you know. You, you mm-hmm. see how history is portrayed as far as like, you know, these great, you know, American tragedies when it happens to, you know, the the, the white um, people, you know, in the history. But when it comes to like the black people and the minorities that have been here since the country's inception, it's like, oh, oh, well, we'll just brush that under under the rug. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and if they deign to bring it up, we'll just, right. you know, tamp it down. You know what I'm saying? And it's just. Yeah, it just it just comes it just came to a point where you couldn't tamp that down any longer. Like you know, we right. we as a people just weren't going for it, you know. And it's a struggle even now, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. keep that keep that same energy alive because there there is so much out there now to kind of you know make us not have that same drive, that same initiative, you know. And we, it's, it's very important. It's very important to keep that going. Seriously. Yeah. A little bit of background. Uh, the manuscript, again, was based on a book. I think Baldwin had been commissioned for it. He had gotten the money and everything. Uh, it's called to be called Remember This House. Mm. Um, and as a matter of fact, I believe his, uh, his, his estate was sued by the publisher because uh, James Baldwin died, I think, in 1987. Mm. And he never finished it, so they wanted the money back, mm. you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, it was it was based on a, a book called "Remember This House," and it was only thirty pages mm. that uh, that Peck, the director, mm. had access to. But he also got access to tons of other uh, of, of Baldwin's uh, unfinished manuscripts, notes, 
letters, interviews, telegrams, postcards and pictures and, and, and unfinished screenplays um, via uh, the Schomburg uh, Center in New York City. Ah. So he, he got a lot of things and recordings as well. He got access to quite a few things. But uh, Baldwin's as, a, as an author, he's, he's written fiction. He's written, um, uh, he's got collections of essays. He's written poetry. He's a playwright. Uh, probably most famously, Go Tell It on the Mountain, Notes from a Native Son, which is really the only book by him that I, I read as a, uh, as a younger guy. Uh, if Bill Street Could Talk, which was, of course, mm. made into a, a feature film here recently. And, uh, and the big one is The Fire Next Time. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's one of his, uh, one of his, uh, mm. his most noted uh, uh, books. But the three of us are pretty much documentary heads. And I wanted to ask you guys what you all thought. Because I was trying to think about it myself. Like, what is it about, a, what makes for a good documentary? You know, which ones are the ones that stay with me and which ones are the ones that don't? And I know, you know, it's easy to say subject matter, which I think is important. But I've watched documentaries about subject matters that didn't have anything to do with me. And I got drawn in. I watched a subject matter. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched a documentary about uh, like a bunch of drug addicts. And it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was immediately like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was glued to my seat. But I wonder, you know, as it relates to this particular film, you know, because I'm, you know, like Dwight said, Watching this same footage, first of all, I, I try not to watch too much of this stuff because I don't want to be desensitized to it. I don't want to see the same footage of fire hoses and dogs and people being hit with batons so many times. The same footage that all of a sudden it doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, the subject matter mm-hmm. that, you know, that that Baldwin was tackling and that, you know, ultimately Raul Peck and, and the filmmakers, other filmmakers, his collaborators were tackling, you know, it's it's difficult but obviously subject matter i i tend to really like documentaries in general because the pace is very measured in terms of the storytelling mm-hmm. you know there aren't these mm-hmm. you know peaks and valleys that you get in narrative fiction and you know these you know third acts if you will uh, that kind of ties up everything neatly in a bow and you know or this climactic you know it's not it's not any of that usually at the end of a documentary you kind of just left to ponder uh, what you've seen, but what do you guys think are some some characteristics of a great documentary, as and especially as it relates to "I Am Not Your Negro"? For me, it's 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 kind of have a solid, I mean, a solid narrative voice. Uh, one of the things I always liked, and you know, I like the fact that we couldn't tell it was Samuel Jackson because what, what he's known for mostly is is fictional characters and doing things which are somewhat flamboyant and boisterous. Another thing I find important is. Um, not necessarily the subject matter, but like you said, because I've seen things that, like, okay, I didn't have any idea I wanted to watch that. When I watched it, I was like, wow, that was cool. Um, but it's got, there has to be something that's a, a human part to it. Like, it's not watching, you know, oil being drilled from, you know, the shell of, of the earth. It's, 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 it's you know, um, Richard Attenborough doing, watching geese, geese migrating or, <laughs> or you mm-hmm. know, things of that nature. Which, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was um, I I wholly agree with you guys as well in that, you know, most importantly, um, perhaps paramount is there has to be some type of narrative drive, because as the term dictates, you are documenting an event or events, your um, lives, you know what I'm saying? And so what I look for in a documentary, um, like like I'm a big historical and military 
you know, documentary, you know, head. That that's that's where my mind is most of the time. That's what I look for. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I find mm-hmm. stuff that handles, you know, that subject matter best is that foremost, you have to have all your facts in check because you know, there's some of us out here, perhaps like you guys, you know, where we'll read up on stuff too. You know, it'll it'll make us go read more on a certain, you know, time period or on a certain person, you know, and you start collating all of these um, um, facts and a bit more background that, that make the documentary richer or make what you've already viewed richer, you know. And so it's very important that you do mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. facts there, that you're not just looking to just do a narrative just to emit or, or to um, events some type of, you know, um, drama or uh, some type of, you know, dramatic, you know, push, you know, so there's that. And then two, right. and speaking about, you know, the, um, the, the voices, you know, especially um, with the rise of like, you know, Ken Burns, you know, and his series of documentaries, mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, the thing that makes those so effective I mean, I mean, hey, <laughs> every time I edit our uh, podcast for iMovie, there's an effect in iMovie called Ken Burns. <laughs> I use it all the time. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Hey, hey, use that, yo. Use that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just the way that, it, it's just the way that he takes, you know, um, these historical stills, you know, these pictures and these images. And even though they're stills, He's able to move the camera across it or manipulate them. Well, that's not probably not a good a good term to say. He's able to use that source material in such a way that it makes it come alive. It doesn't just feel like just a still. Yeah. And then you have on top of that the voices giving you know life um, to these stills as well. Like you were talking about Samuel Jackson earlier. Um, he was in. I think he voiced uh, Frederick Douglass in the Civil War. Um, Ken Burns uh, documentary from 1990. Okay. You know, and mm-hmm. it, and that stuff just comes alive. Morgan Freeman is in it. You know, Sam Robards. Just, you know, those voices just make the work come alive. You know, rather than, because we'll never hear them. We, we, we'll never hear what Abraham Lincoln sounded like. We'll never hear what, you know, Frederick Douglass sounded like or, or Nat Turner's own words, you know. So documentaries mm-hmm. like this, you know, we hear, um, you know, Malcolm in his own words, his own voice. Same thing with Martin. Yeah. Same thing. I before this, you know, obviously I knew of Megar Evers, but I really hadn't seen many interviews with him. All I had known was just that he was in Mississippi, mm-hmm. you know, fighting the struggle down there, and that and that he was fatally shot down. That's all I knew of Megar Evers, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had mm-hmm. never seen. You know, before this documentary, you know, at length, you know, him speaking in his own words, you know. So that's that's the other thing, too. Like, how how do you take these past events where in some cases there may not have been any like um, source material in terms of, you know, visuals like film or sound so that you can hear that person. But how do you make that come alive and still retain the uh, historical um accuracy you know um to get the point across you know what i'm saying before i comment uh, comment i was gonna make a joke i wonder if when sam was narrating as frederick Douglass, yeah i wonder if he had his, his mr glass wig on there you go <laughs> 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 
<laughs> trying to get in character. There you go. <laughs> that the Afro Gibraltar. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's funny what you guys are, are pointing to and what you, specifically what you're talking about, Adrian. You know, there are a lot of times, and I'm sure people watching I'm Not Your Negro might say, well, this is just the facts. This is just the way it is. You know, this is just somebody basically moving pieces of a puzzle around and somehow making them fit together. But the reality is, is like with a puzzle, the filmmaker has a narrative. Mm -hmm. There's there is a beginning, middle and end. There is a there is a peak that he's trying to reach. There is a point of, of entry and then a point of exit that he wants to leave you at. So there is a narrative in, in there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of times I think a lot of times the average person will watch a documentary and think that they're seeing just the facts, just the way it is. When Michael Moore makes a documentary, it's just the facts. Mm -hmm. If, you know, whomever, Kim Burns, mm -hmm. whomever makes a documentary, it's just the facts. But the reality is, is there is still, it's still performative. There is still manipulation of the pieces so that you get a certain tone or inflection or you, you get a certain emotional resonance or emotional peak uh, when this happens, when that happens. And that's done with the music and with the score as well. You know, to create a sense of tension, to create a sense of release, mm -hmm. to create a sense of, you know, whatever, letting go, what, what have you. Yeah. I mean, again, you're dealing with, you're dealing with like, like a, even though it's a quote unquote documentary, it's, it's a, it's a, there's a narrative voice behind it. And that narrative voice sometimes, like, it, it, it impinges upon reality. Yeah. And, and, and it makes things, it can make things like tilt towards one way or the other. You know what though? But I mean, just, just as much as, just as much as, um, they're doing it, not saying it's right, and not saying tit for tat, but that's been done forever in America by the powers that be towards tilting the side of our side towards making things like it, like like, it, like it's great. Like you know, my country tis a, my country tis of the sweet land of liberty of the I C. <laughs> my ass, you know. Yeah. So I mean, it, you know, and don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not um, an angry, you know, person about um, how. Um, my people of color and, and various colors and hues have been treated throughout throughout, throughout the world. I, I get it. I get it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I can't be like lulled into a sense of complacency and, and, and not realizing these things exist and, and not address them, you know? And it's just frustrating at times to see, you know, like, okay, yeah, that's not why mm -hmm. this is the way it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it it that sounds good, but if it weren't for this, right. you wouldn't even be here. Or if we didn't do this, yeah. you wouldn't be there. You know, and it's just, it's 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 a thing where you know I've been watching on on YouTube a lot of things. Um, watching um, the quote unquote myth of the of poor Africa. You know, and it's like well, yeah, it's poor because the same way you raped it back then is the same way you're fucking raping it right now. You know, even though there's a little bit more money involved, you know, there's still a thing where it's a continuous, like, 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 underbidding of, of, of the monetary funds you should be giving them for what they're giving you. You know, so it's just it's an aggravating thing, man. Yeah. That's all. No. Sorry. No, no. Ranting. It's fine. Um, <laughs> as, as a documentary attempts to, you know, to kind of reveal uh, its subject. And sometimes the subject is, you know, drug use or the mafia or civil rights or women's rights or the arts or 
a particular figure within any of those different areas. Do you guys feel like you all have more of a sense? Because I, I get the impression that none of us were really big readers of Baldwin's writings, although we were all familiar. But do you guys feel like you all got a sense of who he was and what he was about watching the documentary and especially seeing footage of him making speeches and, uh, and addressing, you know, uh, you know, people in college campuses and in, and in different uh, large forms? Yeah, I was going to say the um, part about him at Oxford um, University, mm -hmm. you know, that in particular, you're just riveted. Like the way he was just, ah, uh, it's, it's like, it's like he gave voice to that. And I hate to say black rage, but it's there. It's in the undercurrent of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He gave eloquence yeah. to that black rage, you know? And I think sometimes that's how some people need to intake something. Like you can come up and punch somebody in the mouth and say, uh, that's for that. You know, or you can kind of caress them and just take them <laughs> by the shoulder. Hey, hey, man, hey, man, you know what I'm saying? Like, can, can I rap with you for a second? You know, and just kick it to them that way. Right. And then right. once you got them, you give them that full blast. Like, this, these are my grievances. This is why mm -hmm. I feel this way. You know, but you're not doing it with like a punch in the mm -hmm. face. It's mm -hmm. almost like you're cutting them, and I forgot who said it, you're cutting them with a feather. You're cutting them across the face with a feather, you know, instead of a punch to the face. And that's what Baldwin was, you know, was, it, it felt to me, that that's what he was doing. You know what I'm saying? And that and that's that's right. what I got from it. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah, man. It's just like you're, like, like you're stating, it's a, it's a death by a thousand cuts versus a, uh, Versus a quick, a, a quick, a quick, you know, um, gut knife to the juggler, and I appreciate that, man. Like to me, it's like he—he he was never trying to to um, he was never trying to to um, disembowel them with his knowledge. He was always trying to inform them. And when he went to these situations, I mean, look at the size of this guy. He may have been like five foot nothing. He was frail, but it, but he, but, he was a, but he was, his mind was large mm -hmm. and expansive. So when he went to these places, he was going there to um, amongst their amongst their, their schools and the Oxfords and things of that nature to. Help them understand better why we react the way we react, why the situation is the way it is, and and how we can we can we can we can come to a until they come to a, a meeting of the minds as to what they they put upon us. We and can't to your them. point, D. The, the the telling part is at that debate at Oxford when Baldwin was done making his point, standing ovation. You know, however many people were in the audience, standing ovation. Yeah. But it wasn't until he got back to America and you and, and you go on to the Dick Cavett show and other things like that. Ugh. It's only in Ugh. America uh -huh. where they're like, well, hold on now, hold on now, hold on now. Let me give you some pushback <laughs> to what you're saying. You guys have never had it so good. What are you talking about? Come on. That type of thing. <laughs> it's like, motherfucker, do you hear what I've been saying? Do you see what's going on outside your window? Right. What the hell? And it's so funny how, and, and that's always been that way. It's even that way today. How you get a better view of mm -hmm. American goings on from like a foreign agency like the BBC or Al Jazeera than the actual news agencies here. You know, it just in terms of I, maybe it's the, the distance they have from, you know, they're, they're able to be on the outside looking in and appreciate the situation that way. But here, 
in, in, in America, it's like, man, you know, if, if somebody disagrees with you, oh, man, they ready to just jump up and say, no, of course not. Even though it's obvious that mistreatment is going on, that this is going on and so forth. But it just seems like America in the, in its in and of itself is just ready to say no it's not that bad and that's the problem that's the problem for the entirety of mm -hmm. its existence it's mm -hmm. just been saying oh well, it ain't that bad even though they've gone to war over it a civil war um they've intervened in other people's you know affairs because right. of it right you know but back here you got your own internal domestic problems that you continue to ignore because you're under this cloud this fog of oh well it's okay it's, it's all right no it's not all right and that's what baldwin was trying to show you you know baldwin amongst others you know what i'm saying just oh it's just so mm -hmm. it's so frustrating mm -hmm. when you look back at it and you see it in the documentary too you know, and, and you're wondering why can't America at that time, you know, get it? You know, do you do you know? And I'll say this. Do you know that by 1968, Martin Luther King was considered unpopular? Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, he was considered unpopular. Yeah. Yeah. When when King was assassinated, his approval rating nationally was like in the 40s. Right. Yes. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you talk to. When you talk to people who are opposed to like the protests nowadays, black you know Black Lives Matters, mm -hmm. and, and 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 the people who talk against the activism and and the methods that people use today and and this that and the other, and because I had a conversation with this uh, you know with a coworker, you know, and I was like, okay, so mm -hmm. what kind of protest do you think is good? What kind of protest do you think is is the is is the way to go? <laughs> And he said, well, you know, the way MLK did it. I'm like, yeah, but a white man shot him and killed him. Right. Yeah. Silence, silence. White, <laughs> white people shot and killed him. So, and his approval rating was in the 40s. He was not, you know, he was not greatly loved back then. You know, it's just now we look back through, you know, through the rearview mirror and we see, you know, the eloquence in his words and we see, you know, the, the goodness and, and the purity of his efforts. And we say, oh, of course, mm -hmm. of course. But see, that's why, like what Adrian said, you have to mm -hmm. see that today. You have to be able to start looking around today and realize that there are injustices being mm -hmm. per, uh, perpetrated today and that they need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. Muhammad Ali, I, I remember distinctly my grandmother and my mother, mm -hmm. people in the black community, people in the white community, People hated Muhammad Ali because he had a big goddamn mouth. <laughs> and people would pay money and say, I'm going to go see Big Mouth get knocked out. But, and what they would go see is Big Mouth knock some motherfuckers out. Right. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, you go see him put some, some people on their ass. When he refused to be drafted. When he was telling them, why you want me to go over here and fight against the Viet Cong? They never did nothing to me. You, my oppressor, right here in my face and won't acknowledge me and, and acknowledge what you're doing to me right here now. People hated him for that. When he gave up his crown. Yeah. You, you know, when he was made to give up his, his crown because he wouldn't go be drafted. People hated him for that. Right. Now, you know, 30 something years later, when he comes bringing in the torch in the Olympics and everybody stands to their feet. And everybody, it's only through the rearview mirror that they look back and they realize, oh, that was a shitty attitude. 
got to start seeing the shitty attitudes today mm-hmm. as it relates to minorities and all kinds of marginalized groups, LGBTQ, uh, you know, people with disabilities, mm-hmm. you know, societies. I don't know who said this, but, you know, societies are always going to be judged by how they treat it the least in their society. If you're willing to, willing to discount them, if you're willing to, to, uh, to disparage them, if you're willing to, 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 to overlook their needs and their desires and, you know, and their want for freedom and for liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that's what you're going to be judged by. So I think, um, I think I definitely did get more of a sense of Baldwin because, like I said, my only connection to him in terms of his work was really uh, Notes from a Native Son. Okay. And that's it. So I did like hearing about him being in France, oddly enough. I mean, I thought that was cool. I thought it was cool when Nina Simone left and was like, fuck it, mm-hmm. I'm going to France. Goddamn Mississippi. Mississippi, goddamn. Yeah, goddamn. <laughs> Mississippi, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and there's also a great documentary about her that came out a few years ago as well. That Oh, yeah. That I really dug. The one flaw I will say that I thought in terms of us getting to know Baldwin in the movie is uh, the film kind of, uh, it kind of skips over, kind of dances around Baldwin's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Even though... James Baldwin was, he was really one of the first American writers to really kind of write openly about queer sexuality and, um, and that sort of thing. Mm. But I think for, for a good bit of his life, he probably was closeted because, you know, if there's homophobia anywhere, there's homophobia in the black community. Oh yeah. You know, there's a ton of it largely driven by the church and also largely driven by, you know, black machismo, you know, if you're a man and you like other men, you ain't no real man. Mm-hmm. You know, that that kind of attitude. So he lives in a society here in America where, you know, uh, you know, his racial group is 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 oppressed. And then within his own community, you know, he's seen as an outlier and as a separate and as an mm-hmm. other. <clears throat> and so that's like a whole other kind of mm-hmm. oppression, you know, to deal to deal with as well. Right. Yeah. And. And, and to your point, man, the government was even going to the government was even going to use that against him. Mm-hmm. Like they 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 flagged him as, as a public enemy, and like okay, yeah, he's also he's he's also known to 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 to, uh, to go around gay places and and, and frequent gay bars, whatever the case may be. It's like well, okay, so you know what are you saying by saying that? So is that does that now like further bring him down the food chain? We could try and chop yeah. him down some more. And and, and, and yeah. the entire irony of that, as we all know, is J Edgar Hoover. You know he <laughs> that and that, that's 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 crazy, isn't it? Oftentimes you yell the loudest about the very yeah. thing that you are, <laughs> the very thing that you are. You will yep. rate rank on just. Mm-mm, I don't like that. I, I have a I have a secret, so I'm gonna call somebody out for their secret. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You sit back and fold you your arms like, mm, it glad it wasn't me though. You know, but it is you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the other thing I was going to add to that as well, Swizz, is that, you know, you were talking about, you know, back then, you know, um, there, there were uh, gay activists, you know, in the black community, like um, even within um, the civil rights struggle close to uh, Dr. King, uh, Bayard Rustin, you know, um, he, yeah. he was gay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, amongst others, of course, you know, um, so it's there and it's almost as if. I hate to put it like this. They almost had had to had to pick one. You know, it was just in terms of okay, we're gonna fight for the civil rights right now. 
or we're gonna fight for these, you know, gay rights. Right. You know, which one right now is more and more important per se? Which one takes more paramount? You know, and it was the the black struggle for black civil rights. You know, and it wasn't until later in the decade, going into the early seventies, where you had gay rights starting to come to the forefront. You know what I'm saying? You know, I hate to put it like everything in its time because. You know, any type of injustice is always of its time mm-hmm. to be corrected. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. sometimes the the mores of society are not prepared to deal with more than one thing at a time. Oh, that's for sure. You know what I'm saying? If we're talking, yeah, like if we're talking about just, you know, civil rights right now, then we, we can't be talking about trying to get rights for this. We, we can't be talking about women's lib, you know, like. Even that had to come in its time. Right. You know what I'm saying? When the nation was like, whew, okay, I think we got the civil rights thing kind of under control. Oh, man, now now the women want stuff too? Oh, okay. You know, that type of thing. Oh, man, you know, gay gay and lesbians want something now? Oh, man. That's what I feel like society has done. You know, America has done. It's like, oh, shit, what now? What? Like, like it's some type of tired ass <laughs> daddy. Just what? 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 <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Sal. Exactly. What? What? Right. You know, I I, I, I will say this, man. Um, two things. I'll say this for two things. Um, one thing is, um, um, I think that we got the Statue of Liberty prematurely too soon from, mm. from France as a gift. Um, the, the liberties that we are, are striving for and trying to, to, to we shall overcome and to, and to learn to, to cope and deal with the inequities of, of, of all kinds, all sides from different, different ends of the spectrum, still have not been accomplished yet. Now I realize sometimes you give people, you give people a chance based on what, you, what their aspirations are to become that, but at the same time it's like, okay, a hundred years you know, 200 years. It's a long time for you to be experimenting and not fully engaging in the process of what it takes to get better at something. Now, I'm grateful for the fact that at least we have this ability to, 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 to um, you know, give exposition and to have conversations like this and, and not be stricken from the record or being mm-hmm. able to have to, to, you know, give expansion mm-hmm. to other people throughout the world, throughout the country. But at the same time, it's like, okay, how long must we endure and take these things before it gets to a point where they can see this shit's not working for everybody? And I realize everybody's not going to win, but we're not talking about winning here. <laughs> we're talking about bare yeah. equities. You know, you know. Let's let's have a let's have a fucking living wage. You know. You 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 want to to expound upon the fantastic and science fiction side of things, wherein you're living in this fucking utopia where people of uh, different colors and things can can get along and and go into outer space and shit. <clears throat> well, you can't even work next to your coworker and realize that of a, of a different ethnicity or or different different um, you know, racial makeup without having some kind of crazy derogatory statement to be made about them. You know, so it's like for me. You know, focus on 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 learning how much more you are like about that person. You know, which how you are different from that person, and that's how you begin to 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 start to to you know solve those differences. We all fucking bleed. 
we all fucking die. You know? And we all love. So, there you go. Let's build those rapports based on those, those, those three simple things and see where we can go from there. Yeah, but you got power and capitalism and, and, the, and the, the accumulation of wealth driving everything. You know, when I used to see the, when I used to see the word he, white supremacy, the phrase white supremacy, mm-hmm. you know, I would oftentimes associate it with, you know, like, uh, you know, just out and out racism or Nazis or something overt like that. All it means is, is that we remain on top. We remain in charge. Yeah. We don't hate you, but we want to stay in charge. So when people talk about uh, Donald Trump or any of these people being white supremacists, it has less to do with racism and all of that. It's more, I have to be the one in charge. I have to be the one in control. When they, When you hear phrases like, our way of life changing and you won't have a country. What that means is our way of life with us in charge. You you won't have a country where you're in charge. Mm-hmm. That's what they're upset about. Yeah, man. That's what they're upset about. And to answer your question, when you said how long, how long, not long. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> hey, man. Look, it's as simple as this, Wiz. This is, this is, this is, my, this is my, 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 my final on it. It's simple as chess. White always moves first. Mm. Do it. Like, is, is that, that's a hard, fast rule. Like, white always moves first. Yeah, yeah. But you must always bet on black. Bet, bet on black. That's it. That's it. John Cutter, 1992. <laughs> John Cutter. Hey, look. My buddy, my buddy you know? D. Uh-huh. His favorite phrase from that movie, and I, I was, I'd always told him I was going to get one of you guys to do like a graphic a graphic design image of uh, Wesley Snipes from the movie. Yeah. And then put the phrase next to it where the uh, the bad guy says, he's a black man, very smooth and convincing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but um well a, as it relates to the movie i will say this i i really enjoy it i really recommend it i know you guys do too yeah uh for anyone to check it out i am not your negro it is on uh, hulu and netflix and it's on amazon too but i think you have to pay for it if you watch it on amazon yeah that's right but it's it's a great documentary not not perfect but i mean really 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 great and um and I think Baldwin, it, you do get a sense of, of what Baldwin was about, um, and what his uh, what his commitment was to his art, and also to, you know, to the, um, you know, to, to the struggle, you know, for civil rights for uh, for Black Americans during the civil rights era. And I, I'll say this: he, as an artist, um, he is a perfect example of what Nina Simone said when she said, "An artist's duty is to reflect the times." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's he's a great example of that. You know, he was drawn from France back to America because he he wanted to reflect the times. He wanted to be a part of what was going on. He didn't want to just write, you know, out in the clouds. He wanted to write with boots on the ground. I think I think he did that. So yeah, and, and I'll say one one, one more thing too, just in terms of him being a black expatriate for that time. You know, it's so it's so interesting, but also very telling that you had a lot of you know, um, black artists, you know, who were expatriates themselves, you know, jazz musicians like, you know, Miles, Miles Davis, um, uh, other um, like, you know, creatives, like, you know, especially writers, writers and jazz musicians and musicians overall, 
you know, they, they found, mm-hmm. I, and I hate to put it like this, they almost found like a refuge from like just the virulent racism that was going on here. And they were respected over there, you know, in Europe. And even, get this, even though the Russians at that time were supposed to be our enemy, they would go to Russia and have command performances, even as far back as like Paul Robeson. You know what I'm saying? Oh, going over to Russia and just respect it. And I'm talking about this is back in the 30s. Like the late 30s, Paul Robeson is going over there and in Europe and England and everything. And they're treated like, wow, this is amazing. And then you see the coin flip when it come back to America. It's like, spit upon. How could you go to Russia? How could you do this? You know, are you a communist now since you went over there? Do you have these tendencies now? It's just so fucked up. (laughs) And I think to me, that's why, you know, black people, you know, just historically have always tried to find their place in this country. You know, and the country tries to put them in a place. But the beauty of it is that we are undefinable, even though a lot of times there are many times where we try to define ourselves, you know, within the context of what the country is telling us. But yeah, the fact that we're we're undefinable, that man, it's a struggle to put us in a box, man. And I think that's the duty of, you know, just people, not only black people, but of, of minorities and really anyone. Don't let anyone struggle to put you into a box. You fight against that. You know, you you don't, don't let them close the lid on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's the struggle right there. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're talking about Miles Davis, man. There's a story I remember him telling. I read it. Um, and this was before he dated Cicely Tyson. Ah, uh, yeah. He dated, uh, uh, I think it was a French woman named Juliette Greco. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he talks mm-hmm. about walking around holding hands with her in the public in France and, you know, nobody giving a shit. And he was, like, it blew his mind, you know, that he could, you know, he could, you know, be in an interracial relationship um, and not have, you know, like you're saying, being, you know, spat upon and, you know, violence towards him and his, him and his, his, uh, his girlfriend at the time. Um, and it, it really, it really was something else, but, uh, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, Nina Simone ultimately moved to France is because she just felt like she was more respected as an artist, you know, jazz, by the time she left jazz, you know, was, was much, you know, was much less revered, you know, than it was in its heyday. Um, and she is, you know, is and was, or she was rather a true musician and a, you know, truly committed to her art. Mm. And um, so, I, yeah, mm. like you said, I think a lot of them, you know, go over there and and, and find it to be a very different world. And, and maybe it's even hard to come back. But yeah. I mean, this, you know, as much as America, you know, th- that that video of Doc Rivers. Remember that video from a few months ago? Mm-hmm. Doc Rivers was being interviewed and he was talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. He was just talking about, you know, we love this country and y'all just won't love us back. Y'all right. just. You just won't do it. He says, you know, we, you know, mm. you know, it's just, and it, you know, you could just hear the pain in his voice and see the, you know, the pain in his face, you know, as he was, uh, as he was discussing it. But, um, but anyway, go check out. I am not your Negro. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really good. What stands out to me is, um, just, just watching the Republican revenge, uh, convention and this, they're spewing this fear, right? Like, 
all you hear Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear, we're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, we've been hung, we've been shot, and all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's, it's amazing to me why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. 